This podcast is sponsored by Equiland, a global fintech firm for the securities finance industry. Welcome back to Asia Securities Finance Monthly, where we unlock the many mysteries of the securities finance universe. I'm your host, Matt MacArthur in Hong Kong. Coming up on the show today, drum roll, please. Pazla is delighted to introduce its first CEO. We talk to the man behind the mission and we put another industry rookie to the test in our quick fire segment, Five and Five. This month, it's Kevin Sang from Fubon Bank in Taiwan. Up first today is Todd Manning, a market veteran who not only worked on the sell side, but also has buy side experience and now works at the Retail Employees Superannuation Fund, also known as REST, based out of Sydney, Australia. Welcome, Todd. G'day, Matt. How are you? I'm super good. I appreciate you joining us. Thanks a million. So can you help the audience and myself with an overview of REST's current securities finance profile and how exactly does securities finance fit into your firm's structure? Yeah, it's a good question. REST as a, uh, as a super fund has been lending probably as far back as 2004. And traditionally, the approach has been, like many other asset owners or beneficial owners of the world, is it was a bit of a back office uh, investment operations function, which was a set and forget style securities lending approach. We had multiple limits on uh, notional amounts we lend, collateral, borrower types, and what have you. However, I'd say in the last two to three years, we've structurally shifted that to a more active approach when it comes to lending and uh, and opening up some of those um, asset classes that weren't previously lending, we weren't lending, as well as, you know, collateral types and other things expanding. But structurally, it sits now, it's, it's very much viewed as a front office alpha generation part of the organization, and it structurally sits within the liquidity management team, which is housed in the wider portfolio construction research team. Now, I admit this is a simple question, but it has a whole Thanksgiving buffet full of complexities behind it. What are the primary concerns of a beneficial owner such as REST in regards to securities finance and how you look at risk? Yeah, it's a, sometimes a tough one and, and very personal type of reactions you can get from lending from different types of internal stakeholders or external stakeholders. So I think with lending and the concerns surrounding it, you can ease some of those concerns through the education of board members and senior management. Now, that's not dismissing the fact that, you know, obviously there are and, and likely are bad apples in the market. However, as your question indicates, you know, the second part of that risk and risk mitigation is key to any lending program, especially when we're talking about people's pension uh, savings. So like a lot of markets that generate revenue, securities finance is going to have risks. However, measuring and quantifying those risks to me is probably the most pivotal to better understanding if the risk return correlation or balance is acceptable. And what I generally mean by that is if we look at the example of under-indemnified lending model, revenue on a risk-adjusted basis is arguably almost always favorable to the beneficial owner. However, flip that a bit and look at a in, unindemnified model where the trades dynamically can change considerably or the risk profiles change considerably. So without an appropriate risk framework that looks at either counterparty, liquidity of underlying collateral or other factors, it makes it almost impossible to understand if you're getting the right price appropriate to the risk. So I turn it back to framework, Matt. You need to have that internal framework to really take advantage of the lending program. Now, from a macro perspective, what are some general characteristics that beneficial owners need from an agent lender or even a prime broker? 
I'll start with Agent Lenda. Prime Broker is a little bit probably, for, at least from a REST perspective, it's a little less relevant. While we do run some long short programs and have a PB, it's, it's more relevant to that specific asset allocation or investment. But I think it depends on where the beneficial owner is in the journey, Matt. So, you know, the example I said before with the set and forget style approach that sits within the back office or within the operations team, I'd say you know, the focus for that beneficial owner would be more operational risks, you know, things that would be higher up there. Uh, monitoring would be things like uh, cell fails, for example, that causes obviously settlement issues and downstream impacts. However, you know, if, you, if you're an agent lender there, you can manage that through buffers and buffer controls around lending full amounts. And then I'd say more active or a more uh, engaged beneficial owner when it comes to securities finance is, you know, at least from my perspective, is someone that is more solutions-based, an agent lender that really helps solve some of the challenges or helps really bring forward some of the market opportunities that are that are starting to really evolve over the last uh, few years. You know, it's funny you said that. I used to think it was critical mass, but maybe you're right. Maybe it is evolution. And it's perfect timing. Let's pull on that string a little bit. How has the role of a beneficial owner evolved in, say, I don't know, the past five years? Expectations and where are your opinions that the where would the industry might go in the next five years? I mean, you look back ten years ago plus, and you can see, you know, there's been a gradual change, which is kind of ramping up over the last five years. I think. A big part of that is the realities of different regulations have really set in and been fully understood and vetted by the different borrowing communities, whether that's investment banks or other. Basel 3 and 4 looming is a great example of that. So now beneficial owners are now in a position, if they understand those regulations as well, to look at lending as an effective or an efficient way to rent their balance sheet to some of these investment banks, given the regulations and the opportunities that they've created for beneficial owners. Now, let me dig a little deeper. Are all beneficial owners the same? Yeah, I'd say no, <laughs> probably not. I mean, as you, you mentioned before, critical mass, but some, uh, you know, some of our sovereign wealth funds out there that are over a trillion dollars uh, versus what I said, rest at 75 billion Aussies. So that's, you know, closer to 50 million US. I'd say no, but, you know, scale doesn't necessarily mean sophistication sometimes. So one example is I recently attended last week a conference that was regarding lending. And the biggest takeaway was the disparity in approaches and point in the different learning curve that each of us were at in the different discussion points, uh, whether that was lending, uh, as well as other market aspects like you know some of the FX or other wider hedging exposures, exposure management. But even in the sec finance world, there was a vast difference in uh, sophistication or the sophistication curve, I should I should call it. So, and I think globally it's similar. I think there are a few beneficial owners doing some dramatic activities in the in this space while others continue to align more to traditional lending models. Todd, very few people in our market have your insight and even fewer are willing to be as transparent. We appreciate a peek behind the curtain. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for having me. It is a pleasure to welcome in our next guest, not only an old friend, but more importantly, Pazla's CEO, Stephen Howard. Welcome aboard, Stephen. Thank you, Matt. And uh, well, it's a thank you to both you and Paula, our producer, who've done such an amazing job with the podcast. I'm really looking forward to today. Now, it has been a minute from your days of running trading desks here in Hong Kong, but let me be the first to officially welcome you to Pazla. But tell the audience about yourself, your background, your career, and more importantly, your time in Asia. 
Okay, so uh, hopefully no one will fall asleep, but uh, I was born in the UK, in the Midlands, and then moved to East Africa, where I was brought up, and then later returned to the UK for secondary school and studied at Kingston upon Thames. A friend of mine at the time was working for a financial institution, and they introduced me to the business, and then with her encouragement, I was fortunate enough to secure a graduate role at JP Morgan, which was great. as a first stepping point into the business. It was fantastic. I started there in a middle office role, and then moved into a trading role on what was called the equity arbitrage desk. And that team was basically responsible for European and Asian securities lending, financing, market access, index arbitrage. So we had quite a lot going on and were thrown at one hell of a learning curve. So then in early 2000, I was given the opportunity to move to Hong Kong, which I did, and took charge of integrating the JP Morgan, Chase, Fleming and Ordminet platforms into one integrated equity financing and corporate derivative business. For me, this was a time when I really got into the weeds of the securities lending business across Asia. We established several firsts in the Korean and Taiwanese equity markets and grew out the single stock derivative business in Japan. It was also a great opportunity to learn how to work with and manage teams in multiple locations. These were teams that spoke multiple languages, came with diverse backgrounds, had completely different life experiences. So that brought its own sort of challenges and opportunities with it. Then in about 2014, I was fortunate to be recruited to join ABN AMRO and build out their equities franchise. And this was a full startup situation. So we were hiring sales, trading, support teams, technology teams, establishing relationships with vendors, setting up legal entities, infrastructure, setting up documentation with all of our counterparties across the street. And, and that was a real fun time. And later on, I sort of took on different levels of responsibility for several businesses across that equities franchise. And then in 2014, I transitioned to the buy side, working as a hedge fund manager. And you know that was an interesting time. I operated and ran the trading business and was a Delta One portfolio manager for an Asia X fund platform you know, that was based in Hong Kong. Around 2017, I decided to take some time to spend my family and our young son. Or in typical fashion, I think within a short period of time, I'd also managed to found a consulting company and was working as a board advisor for a regional stock exchange. And then more recently, undertaking several expert witness assignments. So I guess to sum it up, I've done a few different things. And I've been incredibly fortunate and had the opportunity to work alongside and with some amazingly talented individuals and also to have the opportunity to work with some, some amazing counterparties like yourself, Matt. And, um, you know, if you're out there listening, you know who you are. So thank you. Now, talk to me like I'm a client. What is your elevator pitch for Pazla? If I had to sum it up, then it's two words, participate and network. So participate. Be part of driving and shaping the agenda for the future of the industry. We have such a diverse range of organizations in the association. Each of you has varying capital, risk, balance sheet, technology, distribution, trading capabilities, and geographical footprints. Use your insights. Use your participation to help drive the agenda for both your organization and the industry as a whole. And then network. Grow your understanding of the business and the opportunities that it can present to your organization. A frequent term you'll hear from a lot of market participants is that this is a relationship-driven business. So be a part of the association to develop those relationships and your network of understanding. Now, that does beg the obvious next question. 
where as an association are we heading? That's a great question. Um, I, before we get into that one, I've got to take a moment and credit both the executive committee and the board for wanting to professionalize the association. So hiring a full-time CEO is the first step in that journey. So re-anchoring back to your question, in a nutshell, more. So grow the association. Now it's time to bring in all of our natural stakeholders to develop a more diverse, commercially aware and nuanced ecosystem that covers, as the articles of association for the association detail, equity borrowing, lending and any derivatives thereof. It's time to lead the dialogue as well, Matt. You know, to a certain extent, we've been hamstrung by not having an independent CEO. So those constraints are removed and we can drive a dialogue rather than responding to circumstances. And then the third and final thing I would say is to deliver more back to the membership. It's super hard when everyone has a day job to go beyond that role. And again, it's great that the executive committee recognizes that challenge. So we're looking at how we can expand our footprint and our delivery. So it's a case of watch this space. Now, let me ask this last question in the form of a story. The only thing that I know about leadership is when I was 17, I was on the high school football team and I couldn't tackle a soul. I couldn't tackle you if we were together in a phone booth. But during halftime of one of our biggest games, our coach stands up and screams, Mighty Mouth. For some reason, everybody in high school called me Mighty Mouth. No <laughs> idea why. Mighty Mouth, if you miss another damn tackle, you owe me $20. Now I'm 17, I didn't have $20. But right on cue, our star quarterback, his name is Mark Bertha, stands up in front of the whole team, all the coaches, and says, Mighty Mouth, I got your back, I'll pay your fine. To me, that was leadership personified. 25 years later, I would still run through a brick wall for that guy. So I guess my question is, is leadership more about tone setting and managing people? Or is it about turning wins and losses into wisdom and lessons? For me, they're not mutually exclusive. I think it has to incorporate all of them and, and much more. And it starts with personal leadership. So taking responsibility for your actions and then taking responsibility for the outcomes of your team. And if you look at that example, your quarterback, that's exactly what he did. You know, he said, okay, this is a moment here where I've got to support every single member of the team here and make sure that they understand that they are supported. And as a leader, I mean, you've got to get comfortable with dealing with ambiguity. So in the context of the business world, I think that's about allowing your team the freedom to operate within agreed parameters and then giving them the opportunity to try things, to make mistakes and to learn from them. Devoting your time to teach and empower them, understanding your stakeholders, and then guiding that professional ethos within the team by your actions. Again, if you, you know, as you quite rightly highlighted, you know, 25 years down the line, you're still looking back at that event and seeing that as a leadership event at the sort of crucible moment for you. It was the quarterback's determination to say, okay, don't worry, I've got your back. I've got that $20, you're covered. He delivered on what he said, or at least you hope he was going to deliver on what he said. And that's fused your thoughts around leadership. I think there's a, there's a quote that summarizes it best sometimes, albeit it is a bit of a paradox, and that is, serve to lead. Well, Stephen, Pazla is lucky to have you, and I promise I will root for you as if your last name is MacArthur. Thanks again for joining us. Well, thank you, Matt. I look forward to seeing where we take the podcast over the rest of 23 and into 24. Thank you very much. For this month's five questions in five minutes, which is always my favorite part of these podcasts, 
we have enlisted a new joiner to our industry, Kevin Sung, joining us from Fubon Bank, based out of Taiwan. Welcome, Kevin. Hi, Matt. Thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. It is our pleasure to have you. All right, let's get this clock started. Tell the audience a little bit about Taipei, Taiwan. What I mean is, what are your favorite parts of the city? Taipei 101, maybe the famous night markets? I think a lot of people know Taipei 101 is one of the tallest building in Asia and you got great shopping mall and it's somewhere you must go in Taiwan. And for Thai markets, local food, that is what I personally would definitely recommend people who come here for a visit. And the one I would recommend today is the one I really go, I go every day or every night if I have time, is the Ningxia Night Market on the east side. Taiwan is best known for bubble tea. Uh, we have more than 20 brands and that's something our team like to have every day for a great afternoon dessert. Secondly is in the night market, there's a lot of great food. And I personally love oyster pancake is a local great food in Taiwan. Sesame oil chicken soup is also one must go thing I do at night. And lastly for dessert, we have iced tofu pudding with taro bowl. All right, you've officially made me hungry. <laughs> now we all know that finance in general is notorious for not being very kind to new joiners. It's fast-paced, and even the smallest details matter. Talk to me about your securities finance development. What were some of your biggest hurdles? Uh, I think we're in the finance industry, everything is fast-paced. We have to adapt to this situation or any hurdles every day to overcome difficulties. I personally started at SBO with middle office, so I have the opportunity to work with a retail team and to work with operational side before I move into the front desk. So all different functions are really unique and require different skill set. So for example, for middle office, we had to talk to the custodian bank and tracing collateral and making sure uh, daily settlements are completed every day. And in the retail team, where I think communication and relationship management are the most important key to develop more business. I think all these opportunities have prepared me really well before I move into the front. And right now, I think the hardest part is actually managing all the skills that I learned and what I observed, of course, from the school to manage them all and creating into one big picture and to make sure everyone can work closely and smoothly. And last part, I would say, is work-life balance, probably, because I know everyone in the finance industry just works so long hours, and then we don't really have time to relax. And sometimes you just uh, stack up, and sometimes you just need to learn how to work well in the tense environment. And I think to think positive and knowing that you can do the right thing and relax is also one really hard part of my job right now. Now I love to ask this next question. What are some of the best work advice you've received? Personally, I think the best advice I've received is we have always to think positive and to know that we can always achieve our goal. We have to know that we're in a changing environment and stay hungry and always get ready for more and always ready for more business and never say no to a problem. And because we know if a problem occurs, it is the best time for a star to to actually to shine and to appear. I'm so excited to ask this next question. I might need a Xanax. If you could star in any Hollywood blockbuster movie, which one would it be? Oh, that's very interesting. It just came up to my mind that I recently watched Top Gun, so second time, and I really enjoy it. Smoke in the air, smoke in the air. And throwing flares. Throwing flares. <laughs> I love it. That's brilliant. Now, I realize that sitting on a trading desk all day, booking countless tickets, 
isn't exactly the end of most people's rainbow. So if not for securities finance, what line of work would you be in? Well, SBO has been my life. <laughs> well, actually, I think I got many things in mind. And uh, if not for SBO or not for the finance, uh, personally, I am really into sports and I really love playing badminton. So uh, facing challenge is also the sport competition. So I think another thing I would definitely do is to be a professional badminton player, I would say. Thanks, Kevin. I certainly appreciate the movie role playing. That was fun. It's great to have you, and we will see you in November at the upcoming Pazla Drinks here in Hong Kong. Thanks again. Thank you very much. Before we go, a quick reminder to sign up for our Hong Kong industry social event at Ula Petit on Star Street on November 2nd. Space is limited, so make sure you RSVP. We look forward to catching up with all of you there. That's it for today's episode of Asia Securities Finance Monthly. I'm Matt MacArthur in Hong Kong. Join us next month, wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast was sponsored by Equiland, a global fintech firm for the securities finance industry.